Have you had somebody share something with you recently that was new information? It was different. Maybe even had like a little twinge of curiosity if what they said was accurate. And you did what I typically do. Pulled out your phone to Google it. See if it was accurate. You know, an internet is not really a bastion of accuracy and truth. It is a place to go and get quick answers, regardless of how accurate they are. But there's something within us that when something new is presented to us, our first response is to look up the accuracy and validity of it. In Acts 17, we see where the Apostle Paul has now come to a small town of Berea. And it is there that he begins to share with them something new, something they have never heard before. And it is the good news of Jesus Christ. And their knee-jerk reaction is to open the Scriptures to see if what these things he is saying are true. What I want to rally our church around together today is this, is that we would become like the Bereans who examine the scriptures to see if these things are so. Well, let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're walking through the book of Acts together as a faith family through this great historical narrative written by Dr. Luke. And we have seen how the gospel that took root in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem has now spread outward. Now it's Acts 16 onto the shores of Europe. We've seen Paul and Silas. We have seen Timothy and even Luke go into Philippi, preach the gospel. We see a riot takes place. Some of them leave there. They head to Thessalonica or the, you know, the second place place happens again. They see a riot take place. And then we see for the sake of the safety of the believers in Thessalonica, Paul uh, leaves there in Thessalonica, he and Silas, and they head to Berea. And that's where we pick up in Acts 17, beginning with verse 10. And the scripture says this, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed." As was his custom, the Apostle Paul began his preaching ministry in the synagogue of Berea. He explained to them the scriptures of who Jesus is and what he had come to do. 
He began to preach Christ and him crucified. A Messiah from the Old Testament that has been promised has now come and his name is Jesus. And he lived a perfect, sinless life that no one could live. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard of glory. And this Savior, not only did he live the life that we couldn't live, he died the death that we deserved. That Jesus went to the cross and he died in our place. And his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins of anybody who turns from sin and self and trusts in Jesus Christ by faith. But this Savior didn't stay dead. For on the third day, He rose again, offering eternal life to anybody who will trust in Him by faith. This is the gospel that the Bereans heard, and they received it with great joy. But there was something different about these Bereans. They were a people of the Scriptures. They filtered everything Paul said through the Word of God. So as you and I dive into Acts 17, I want us to not only learn from these Bereans, but I want to encourage us to become like them. That as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we let the Word of God, to let it govern and guide how we interpret and receive from those who bring the Word to us as pastors and preachers. I want you to see in the text these three marks of a Berean. The first mark is this. A Berean will receive the Word eagerly. Receive the word eagerly. Luke tells us that the Bereans, verse 11, received the word with eagerness. Now, in the original language, there is a word before eagerness. It's the word pos. It means great. Okay, so right now what we see here in verse 11 is that there was great excitement, great eagerness, great anticipation. These people received it with great joy and excitement, like a kid on Christmas morning eager to open up the presents, like a young couple looking forward to their wedding day eager to begin their new life together, like a really, really pregnant mom who is eager to get the baby out of her belly. We see amongst the Bereans an eagerness to receive the word of God. It reminds me of what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13 of the parable of the sower. Jesus tells a story of a farmer who goes out to cast seed. And the seed falls on four different kinds of soil. One seed falls upon a path. One seed falls upon rocky soil. One seed falls amongst thorns and thistles. And the fourth seed falls upon good soil. The first seed that falls along the path is eaten by the birds. The second seed that falls upon rocky soil, it shoots up quickly, but then it, it fades away because it has no root. We see in the third soil that the seed that falls into the soil with the thorns and the thistles, it shoots up, but then the worries of this world and the desire for wealth choke out the fruit that would come from that seed. The fourth seed falls on good soil and it produces a crop, a fruit of 30, 60, 100 times over. Later on in Matthew 13, Jesus interprets the parable as this. He says that the seed that fell upon the path that was eaten by the birds is like Satan who comes and will snatch away the seed of the word from the hearts of certain people. That the seed that fell upon the rocky soil are those who, through suffering and persecution, they have no root, and so they just fade away. A third kind of soil that grows up amongst the thistles and the thorns, the worries and the desires for success and wealth that choke out the, the fruit of that seed. 
But the seed that falls upon the good soil, it bears much fruit. My question to you is this, which soil are you? Are you someone who hears the word of God and you shrug with apathy? You're in danger of the enemy coming and stealing away the seed that's been planted within your heart. Do you respond where suffering makes you lose your love for Jesus and his word, kind of like the seed that falls upon rocky soil? Are you someone who has the heart of uh, of desiring success more than you desire Jesus and his word? You are in danger of the word being planted in your heart and it being choked out by the desire for success. Or are you one who gladly receives the word, the imperishable seed of the word of God that is planted in your heart and it bears fruit and it changes your life? You see, one of the marks of these Bereans is that they have soft, open hearts. They are teachable. They have this teachability to them. They were eager to receive the word. This is what Peter admonishes his believers to do. He says, like newborn infants in 1 Peter chapter 2, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, as a follower of Jesus, you are to desire, to hunger, to thirst for the word. That the word of God is like pure milk. It is meat that satisfies and nourishes. A couple of weeks ago, Christy and I got to go out on a date together to a steakhouse. Man, you best believe I picked out my favorite steak. Medium, right temperature, just a little bit of blood. Thank you, Jesus, that those Old Testament laws no longer apply in that moment. And I went in there and I did work. Yesterday, I was at Bucky's, where there's lots of cotton candy. <laughs> Which one satisfied? Which one really nourished? You see, there are some who, they, they desire something to taste good, so they go for the cotton candy, which feels good in the moment. Within five minutes, they're hungry, they're starved, and they're unnourished. Well, God has designed you to know him and love him and follow him. And the only way you can do that is through his word. As followers of Jesus, we are to desire the meat of the word of God, not cotton candy entertainment, but the richness of the savory word. You see, your growth and maturity as a believer is directly connected to the depth of your desire for the word. The Bereans had hearts that were soft. They were good soil. As they heard the word, it it propelled them to receive it eagerly. You see, I've seen this characteristic as so important, not only as a pastor and as a coach and as a dad, and it's this characteristic right here, teachability. Being teachable. One of the most important marks of a mature, growing believer in Jesus. You see, teachability is a fruit of humility. And when you have someone in your life who's teachable, it is a gift to be a part of. You know this as parents, that when your children are compliant and they're joyful and they're eager to learn from you, how sweet is that moment? You know this as a boss working at your workplace. When you have employees that are teachable, not only increases productivity, but it sets a culture full of joy and laughter. You know this as a teacher. That when you have a child who is eager to learn and wants to glean the wisdom from you, it makes your teaching a joy, not a burden. 
Oh, that God would put within all of us as followers of Jesus a teachability, a humility in which we are eager to receive the word of God planted into our hearts. The question is, as a follower of Jesus, do you approach the Lord with a humble, teachable spirit, just like the Bereans? Or do you respond with arms folded, skepticism, a strong will, entitled, hard-hearted? Let me give you three questions. I'll put them in your notes for personal reflection. The first question I want you to ask yourself, do I love the Bible? Do I love the Bible? Do you love to hear the Word of God preached? Does your heart soar when you study the Scriptures, when you learn new things? Do you delight in God's precepts? If you're sitting here thinking, hey, Kenneth, I, I, my, I really don't. I don't desire that. Here's my invitation. Pray. Ask the Lord to give you a hunger for His Word. Can I tell you the Lord would love to answer that prayer request? God would love to see within you a growth in your thirst for his word, a desire to know him. And so if you find that your faith is lukewarm, that the depth of your study of his word has plateaued, oh, that you would pray and say, God, would you ignite within my heart a white hot passion for your word? And then you watch him begin to stir within you a deeper desire to study his precepts, to know his word and to follow his ways. Question two, not only do I love the Bible, but do I prioritize the Bible? Is Bible study a part of your daily rhythm and routine? Hear me on this. If you've got time for social media, you've got time for the Bible. You give your time to what you love. I'll say it a different way. Whatever you love the most gets the most of you. Oh, that you would allow the Word of God to take center stage in your heart and in your life and in the rhythm of how you live your life. Third question is this. Do I study the Bible? This is not just a general knowledge of the Word. Good grief, the Pharisees had that. But you open the text and you study it in light of its proper context, in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then how you can go and live this out. You see, if you approach God's word with a stubborn heart, you're going to miss all of the riches that God wants to give to you through his word. So your first response as the Bereans is this, is to receive it eagerly. But number two, examine the word daily. Examine the word daily. That word for examine here in verse 11, it has a, a judicial root to it. It's like that of an, of an investigation. It's exploring. It's, it's searching for answers. This word does not communicate a passive skimming of the surface, but rather a deep dive into the truths of the text of Scripture. These Bereans were serious about studying the Word. And here's the thing. Because of the Bereans' daily study of the Word, they were able to sniff out error. They weren't gullible to false teaching through the persuasiveness, humor, or charisma, or charm of a smooth-talking charlatan. 
You see, Paul here, he's going into Berea and he's claiming the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And everything that was written about him in the law of Moses, through the prophets and the Psalms and the wisdom literature, it's all fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as he would begin to unpack the scriptures, they would say, hey, Paul, time out. Let us check that. And they would open the word and they would check it. Okay, go ahead. And then he would begin to expound it some more. Okay, stop there. Let's check this some more. Okay, let's They were examining the scriptures. They were studying. They were looking to see if what they were hearing was actually true or is it just some guy who is blowing smoke? A guy who is just a charlatan, a come-by-night teacher. They were examining the scriptures. I'm sure Paul loved it. You see, Paul rebuked the Galatians churches for accepting a false gospel from false teachers. You see, the Bereans here are setting the example for how we are to listen to preaching. We see, we are a people of the book, and we listen intently to the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God. But you see, if you hear something that sounds good, and it feels good, and it gives you warm feelings, and yet is a lie and you believe that lie, that has eternal consequences to it. If you believe something that is not true, it may feel good, but it is not true, it has eternal consequences to it. I'll give you an example. It's a group of people who will no longer knock on my door. (laughs) Mormons will often present to you a smooth-sounding presentation. Sounds good good information. They've practiced it over and over again. And then they ask you this question, how does this make you feel? It doesn't matter how it makes you feel. It matters, is it true? And if you believe something that is a lie, it has eternal consequences to it. It doesn't matter how it makes you feel. You see, truth does not change based upon feelings. Okay, say it a a, a different way. Truth doesn't care about your feelings. It's truth. You can't move it. It's immovable. It's a fact. It, it, can't, it can't be adapted based upon how you feel in the moment. And false teachers love to play upon the emotions of people in order to persuade them to believe something that is away from the truth of the gospel. You see, just because someone's funny or sounds good or makes you feel good, it does not mean that they are sent from God. There are charlatans and showmen who can work a crowd up into a lather of emotion and manipulate them to do whatever he wants them to do. The Bible is saturated with warnings against following and listening to false teachers. If we had time, we could backpedal into the Old Testament and see how there are all these warnings of false prophets to be on guard, to be watchful. Why? Because these false prophets are pointing you away from the Lord. But for the sake of our time, let me give you just a few of the many New Testament warnings against false prophets. Jesus said in Matthew 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Okay? That means they look like believers. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. You will see on the outside what's really going on on the inside. In Matthew 24, as Jesus describes the end times and the end of the world, 
He says, For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Simon Peter warned of the danger of false teachers in his day. In 2 Peter 2, He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many, I hate that word, but there it is. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. He goes on to say in 2 Peter 3, 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Paul warned of false teachers in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. You can make a note that's already happening today. In Acts 20, Paul warned the Ephesian pastors and elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul tells the church at Rome, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ with their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You see, false teachers, they don't want to shepherd you. They want to control you. They're in it for their own ego. They're in it so that they might expand their cash flow and make money. And here's the sad part. You see it all throughout the New Testament. Many will fall away. Many will walk away. Question, are you going to be one of the many? Are you going to be one who's going to walk away from the once for all delivered to the saints faith that we have received? Are you going to walk away from the truth of God's word? May God protect us from false teaching because it has eternal consequences. If you're banking your soul upon a lie, it has eternal consequences to it. And today there are thousands, thousands of cults and false religions that people believe and the results are eternally catastrophic. This is why, listen close, anytime someone claims to speak for God, examine everything they say through the filter of the Word of God. Anytime someone claims to be speaking for God, examine everything they say through the filter of the Word of God. Examine it. Test it. You see, this is one of our core values as a church is that we think biblically. We let the Word of God govern and guide how we think and how we feel and how we live. 
That we don't live based on how we feel or, or what we think is right. We live based upon what has been revealed to us in the Word. The eternal Word of God that is unchanging and perfect, just like God's character, is one in which we submit and follow and we think in light of Scripture. So when someone tells us something, we interpret it first, not through Google, but through the Word of God. What does the Bible say about this particular issue or this situation? That we are a people who walk in the truth. I've heard people tell me, well, I had a pastor tell me, one time, or I had a priest tell me one time, I don't care what they said. What does the Bible say? Listen, pastors, teachers are fallible. The Bible is not. Bank your soul, not upon what someone told you, but what has been revealed through the eternal word of God. Let the scriptures be what govern and guide your thinking and your believing. You look to the text of what God has plainly and clearly revealed so that you might know his thoughts. You might live his life. He's called you to live and to walk in his ways. You must check and double check everything you hear from whatever religious leader it is, including me. Examine everything I say through the filter of the Word of God. Because if you believe a lie, it's devastating the consequences. But isn't it interesting here that verse 11, it's daily. Daily. Every day, they're checking Paul's teaching with the plumb line of God's Word. Is what he's saying line up to what Scripture actually says? So you receive the word eagerly. You examine the word daily. But thirdly, respond to the word faithfully. Did you see the result of the people hearing the word of God preached? There it is, verse 12. Many of them believed. There it is. I like that many. Many of them believed. The people responded in faith. You see, there's power in the Word of God. This is why I believe in expositional preaching of walking through books of the Bible because the Holy Spirit who inspired the book, the Holy Spirit who wrote the book, put it in a certain order so that we might be strengthened and edified in the faith. That when we gather together, we don't pick and choose what we want to hear. We let the Word of God set the agenda. And I've had people say, hey, Kenneth, you just preached on this specific thing, and I'm dealing with that exact situation in my life. How did you know? And I will tell them, we have hired the FBI. <laughs> they are following you around and reporting back to me what you... No. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and knows what's going on in your life takes His Word and applies it to your life. It would be impossible for me to find a way to, to preach something that applies to every single person in this room in the exact situation that you're facing if I did it in my own power and wisdom, which, by the way, ain't much. The power is in the Word. When the Word of God is brought to bear upon the people of God, their lives are changed forever for the glory of God. God loves to take His Word and transform His people through the preaching of His Word. That We are a people of the book. We love this text. We rally around this text. We study this text. And oh, my heart was beaming over during the baptism as a brother is quoting Scripture. Yes! We memorize the Word of God. This is how we grow in the grace and knowledge 
of Christ. Paul says it like this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the what? Word of Christ. Let's go to the words of Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my, what? And believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. When you respond to the word of God, God changes your heart, changes your life, and you are adopted into the kingdom, forgiven of sin. You have an inheritance in the heavenlies. You belong to Jesus forever. These are all principles. These are all promises. These are all truths that we're standing upon. We're not budging. We're holding fast to all because it's revealed in the Word. But this is why we study the Scriptures. This is why when we go through books of the Bible is that I want this to be the steady diet of your spiritual nourishment. That we let the Word set the agenda, not something that I desire. Now, we're going to take breaks periodically. We'll look at different topics and issues that apply to our current situation as a church. But every time we do that, we're looking at the context of that passage and how it fits in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and then how it applies to us. This is the nourishment of who we are. But can I also say this? We're not on a journey here, Westwood. We're not trying to figure out our way on where we stand on the Bible. Decades ago, Westwood planted their flag on the hill on the, of the inerrancy of God's word, and we're not budging. We're going to stand firm on what God has plainly and clearly revealed in his word, that it is right and perfect in all that it contains. That Bible in your lap has not a single error. People have tried for thousands of years to debunk, undermine, and take away from the scriptures. Guess what? They cannot. You can trust every jot and tittle, is the word of Jesus. Every little detail within that book you can trust. You can bank your soul upon it. That Bible is perfect because the author is perfect. If there were mistakes and errors in that book, that calls into question the character of the author. But you and I already know the author. Perfect in all of his, in all of his ways. He is eternal and unchanging, just like his word. The flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You can trust that book. We are a people who love the Bible. We trust the Bible. We respond to the Bible faithfully because we see what it has done. It has changed our lives. One of the things I do, it's like a discipline I've put into the rhythm of my life. The very last thing I do on Saturday nights before I go to sleep, I read 2 Timothy 4. And it's my way of just reminding myself once again of my job description. Preach the word. Don't preach your opinions. Don't preach politics. Preach the word. That's where the power is found, Kenneth. Don't go sharing what you think. Let God speak on what he thinks. Preach the word. Bring the word of God to bear upon the people of God. Here's what I've also found is that One of the ways to protect a church from wolves is to provide sheep food. When you let the word of God be the nourishment of the people, wolves don't like that. They want something that makes them feel. It it meets to their flesh. It draws them in. No, 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 no. We are a people who are sheep 
of Christ's shepherd field. And we're going to feast upon what he has given to the church to feast upon, which is the word of God. This is what we are trusting in. And as a good Berean, we are a people who are daily studying the scriptures. And as we do, it's going to strengthen the bandwidth of your antenna of sniffing out someone saying something that is not true. So whether it's you're over a coffee pot at the break room at work, you're at the ball field or in the band room, or there you are um, in your own kitchen table, and someone says something that is false, you can discern it quickly because you're filtering through the Word of God. So we keep our nose down, we look in the book, and we believe every word that we read. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? Maybe you're here today, and it's been a long time since you've read your Bible. Can I just say, I am so glad you're here. It is not my intent to beat you up today. Not at all. I want to hold up the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you and is for you. And even if you've not had a quiet time in months, He still loves you. Your, his love for you is not based upon your obedience. His love for you is based upon His obedience. And He already obeyed perfectly. So you're secure in His love. But as someone whose heart has been changed by the gospel, I want to inspire you today to lean in on something that he says is essential for your maturity and growth in the gospel. So if you're even if you're brand new to reading the Bible, here's how I want you to start. It's your impact point. Impact point. Start by committing 20 minutes every day to reading your Bible. Let this become a regular habit of your life. Okay, there, there are so many Bible apps you can download. I mean, you can listen to the Bible while you're driving, while you're cooking, while you're exercising. There's all kinds of ways that you can get the Bible into you. But you, you take that time. I'm, I'm a morning person. I, I love mornings. Uh, some of you want to throw something at me, and that's fine. But I, I, lo I love mornings, getting up early, splashing water on my face, get some coffee, and let's get after it, right? Maybe you're an evening person. I don't care when you read your Bible, but read your Bible. At lunchtime, at lunch instead of scrolling social media, open the Word and begin to study and to read and to allow the Word to infect and affect all of your life. This is how we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. This is how we mature as believers. Because from now until you take your last breath, people are going to be sharing with you new information. And my hope is that your knee-jerk reaction is not to go to Google, but to go to the Word of God. And you filter everything through the Scriptures. You examine the text to see if these things are so.